Welcome all, this is Justin Lomnes, the Lunatic Libertarian Podcast, the place to engage lunatic ideas about freedom, building skill sets, encouraging individual tangible knowledge, self-sufficiency, and engaging all of humanity, regardless of political affiliation, sex, race, color, creed, pronoun, preference, social economic background, or any label, title, or category you choose to affiliate yourself with. We appreciate all the knowledge for the better of all mankind, and we thank you for listening to The Lunatic Libertarian. And we are live. Welcome to The Lunatic Libertarian. I'm here with the Libertarian Party candidate for Wisconsin, Secretary of State, Neil Harmon. How are you doing tonight, Neil? I'm doing great, Justin. Thank you for having me on. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming on my podcast. Uh, the little lone, known lunatic is here to spread liberty and freedom for everybody. So, And I, I look forward to our Wisconsin convention. It will be my first, and that's coming up this Friday, right? Yep, I'm very excited about it. It will actually be my second. So I'm very excited about uh, coming and uh, meeting every all the new people that are part of the party. So that will be nice. Uh, why don't you tell the people where you um, originated from and uh what got you into the Liberty movement and uh, what got you interested in running for uh, such a position in office? Well, I have been, in, uh, I dabbed in politics probably all my life. I lived in Southeastern Wisconsin, the majority of my life. My parents were uh, union Democrats. So I dabbed in the Democrat party when I first got a high school 20 some years ago. Um, then uh, slowly but surely I got into um, a spat with the Democrat Party because uh, there's a lot of things they say, but they don't do. And they say that for the little people, but they're not. And it's it's just the big money funnel. So exactly. I decided to switch to the Republican Party probably in 2010. <laughs> and... Um, just by 2016, I had enough. I was like, these big parties they have no idea what's going on in real people's lives. They're just, it's just a big filtering mess. This duopoly needs to break up. Um, I was, uh, I got into a libertarian party in 2016. Uh, I listened to a speech from Gary Johnson, I believe it was on CPAP. Um, and I got very interested because I was kind of, I felt like I was politically homeless. So I was looking around and I, was like oh gary's pretty close to my ideals i know he's a former republican and he and he worked in a democrat state and um from there i got in touch with the state party's um chair and then uh and then i got hooked in and i've been with the party since 2016 so this is now six years yep and uh, now i'm vice chair of the state party uh just recently last year so this is uh, my first full year will be completed soon. Uh, and I got another year to go. And then um, every two years we uh, decide on our XCOM, as they call it, our executive board. So, Okay. Do you uh, think that um, uh, running for Secretary of State right now um, is beneficial for the Libertarian Party in more ways than just winning the seat? Yeah, I mean, there's several reasons why. I mean, we need to express what we are for. I think a lot of people don't understand what libertarian is. They look at the first part, they can see liberal, and then you got to explain to them, no, that's not what it is. It's li liberty, not liberal. It's liberty. Um, and then another, a lot of people also think that we're like fringe Republicans, too, and that's not the truth either because a lot of social issues, we are very open to um a lot of the social issues that are out there one we don't believe that government should be involved in social issues first and foremost and and secondly we believe that people should be able to run their own lives how they want to run it without government interference i mean that's the biggest thing and with me running for secretary of state i think that's my big thing is to try and get the message out of what libertarian is what liberty is and how we see fit how it we're presenting it so we don't have to waste time explaining it to people and when you do explain it to people they're like oh yeah i am libertarian yeah i found out uh, a few people that i didn't know were libertarian because they talked a lot about trump in the past couple of years and uh 
you know, come to find out, you know, ask them, hey, you know, check out my podcast. I just got some business cards that were designed by uh, KelseyLineDesigns.com. A little plug for her. She did a great job for me, and I hand them out, and she's they're like, yeah, I voted for Spike and Joe in uh, 2020, 2020. And I'm like, really? I'm like, yeah. They, they were like, yeah, we voted it, but, you know, um, that's we're hoping that we can see a lot more. And I think that uh, spreading the message around is the best thing that we can do. And uh, having candidates that are more than qualified to run those positions versus what we've had for so, so many years, it's, it's really time for the change to start uh, taking over. Yeah. We had a big opportunity in 2016. I thought that we were really going to start pushing the party, but I mean, we had a little bit of a setback and now it looks like we're back on track as far as getting some local uh, politicians elected. And it always starts at the local level, actually. And it's best to know what you're doing inside your own community. Being on the school board or county supervisor, those types of things are important. Uh, I think sometimes we think too big and that we kind of get lost in the shuffle. And that's the reason why we don't have the successes that we need need to have for us to live our normal lives without the government interfering in what we want to do in our lives. Did you see the post by uh, David Hogue about uh, starting his own uh, business and how all the red tape is in his way and it's so expensive and the government should uh, do all this other stuff? I thought he wanted all these government regulations, but now he's finally starting to figure out when it's actually imposed on you. It's it's not really what you want. Well, exactly. And, you know, they're so clueless as far as those types of things. They think it's all good and mighty and it's good for the good of the people. And then, you know, like a celebrity or something get, tries to get into some sort of business. They're like, oh, my God, I have to fork go for this much money before I can even start thinking about doing anything. I mean, that, it's so funny how it it comes full circle. And then when they look at it, they're like, oh, OK, well, maybe that's not a good idea. Well, maybe you should have said something or looked into it first before you spouted your mouth off on something that you had no idea what you were talking about. Exactly. Exactly. Um, most small businesses or um, young op- entrepreneurs will tell you that uh, trying to open a business will turn you libertarian more than anything else is because you're trying to live the American dream and have your own ability to create an income and be a producer for your community. And then the government steps right in there right away and says, no, no, no. Me first, me first, me first. And that, that is the, that's the biggest problem. I mean, what we've seen with what, how COVID was handled, I really think it was a job of the, what the government did was they shut down a, a lot of small businesses so corporations would have more power. And, I, and it was completely unfair. Um, and they should have let these small businesses adapt to what the COVID situation was. And unfortunately... Our government, with Trump in office, um, failed the small business people. And I really think that now the percentage of small businesses to corporations is greatly reduced because of this. And it's unfortunate because America was built on small businesses. Absolutely. That is the big key to this situation and getting it back under control is having the small businesses um, get the light again. And unfortunately, you know, nobody wants to invest because they never know when the government's going to shut them down again. Right. Um, What do you think about uh, Wisconsin having no real national news when um, the health department's mass decree was declared unconstitutional in the state? Well, they're going to always hide things that are not in their propaganda. So I'm not (laughs) shocked that it wasn't national. Uh, I mean... We know it, the narratives pushed by you know what the national media does, and unfortunately, our national media has been in the pockets of politicians for quite some time. And the narrative will always be theirs until, you know. I mean, I think it's better now. We're getting better now because there are so many outlets now. The unfortunate thing is the government's trying to interfere in all these outlets and saying, no, you can't let them post this, post that, post this. Well, you know what? A lot of truth is behind what's coming out on on this stuff, including, you know, what these vaccinations as far as um, the health risks for children and things like that. You're starting to see it. 
and uh, Pfizer and uh, Moderna get free passes because their government said, oh, what, you can't sue them. Well, and they also provided all the funds through uh, taxpayer money to pay for the vaccinations, even though you were a taxpayer that didn't want it. So they made the decision for you. And I think that um, one of the problems that we're having across our communities is that people are making less and less decisions for themselves because they're becoming complacent that the government, oh, well, I have this overabundance. What do you know? I don't have to worry about the government after me. Well, I mean, if you get laid into the system that much to where you're just giving away your personal liberties and your decision making to the government. I mean, you're really empowering them to do anything they want. Like say you have to wear a mask or you have to do this or you have to do that. Um, one of the reasons that I still live in Wisconsin is that you still have um, vaccination exemption status according to our uh, legislature so that you, you can still send your kids to public school. You can still do everything like a quote unquote normal human being would, but you're not you're not uh, uh, forced by law to do anything else. You know, you're not forced by law to say, well, you have to run through the entire schedule of vaccinations for your children to get a public education. But now we also see that public education, because it's ran by government, is not what it's supposed to be either. And I think we're in a real decline as far as uh, skill sets that are needed by our, our youth. Um, what is your opinion on that? I always thought that. Uh to graduate high school you need to have a finance class and a civics class i think those are two important things that um, bring the attention to you as far as an adult understanding how our country works you balance a checkbook i know our government doesn't but you balance a checkbook and you you know and understand how our government is supposed to function so those are two important things i think though with public education that I think you're starting to see finally parents starting to rise up and be on the school boards and try to reverse a lot of the bad harm that has been done because I think parents ignored a lot of it for some time. And now that they're seeing the problems that are coming out, like their children is fall, their children are falling behind on things because they were virtual learning when they should have been in the schools. Um, I was at, a, I was actually at a rally um in madison where the teachers were having a fit that they would have to be in the in the classrooms and i you know i see all these um signs and things that they're putting on there like they're worried about their health i mean i understand that aspect of it but also your chance of death with covid was extremely low as it was i mean you and you get to see these kids all the time and you're getting probably the flu three, four times a year, and you're doing okay after that too. I mean, there's precautions that were in place. There was really no need to uh, have virtual learning. Some some kids thrive in uh, virtual learning, and that's fine. You can have virtual uh, learning set up as a hybrid. That's I'm perfectly fine with that. I think that you have to adapt to, to the model of success for your kids. So I had no problem with virtual learning. I did have a problem that I didn't have a choice. Um, and my kids did uh, fall behind a little bit with virtual learning um, in place. And I really thought that uh, the public schools failed us. And the community that I'm in currently, um, we were actually the first one in Milwaukee County to finally get rid of the mask mandate. But that was only because, or for the schools, that was only because the parents finally rose up and said, but, hey, we had enough of this and um, you guys need to change the policy. And then it passed seven to two. And then one of the people that was part of the school board that voted for to keep the masks just got voted out in April. So that was fantastic. <laughs> well, I think people are starting to realize what the government's actually doing because they have nothing else better to do because they're sitting at home. I mean, there's a lot of people that in Wisconsin that do work all the time, but there's a lot of people that took advantage of the uh, unemployment and uh, I would call the handouts of COVID. Um, I think Tony Ebers made a huge mis mistake by taking any federal money for COVID um, because there are stick. Uh, there's actually um, there's attachments to those uh, funds and mm -hmm. you have to comply with those attachments to, you know, not I don't, I don't know what happens as far as government suing government for, you know, uh, funds that uh, were taken. But then, you know, I, I don't know how that works and then I can't speak on that. But um, when we look at what they're doing. As far as giving all this federal aid and saying, well, if you take the aid, well, now 
now we got you by the cojones or we got you by the balls. So now you're going to have to do what we tell you to do. And you're going to have to implement what we tell you to implement. And that's not what the federal government was ever supposed to be. Um, do you think that if libertarians can slowly start transitioning into these uh, smaller offices that the state government and the federal government's going to be looking at uh, somebody that's going to be like, nah, you guys can go take a hike. We're, we're, we're good over here. And Wisconsin has one of the better um, federal funding to um, state funding uh, ratios, I believe. Um, yeah, I think that, I think that there are some of the major parties already are looking at um, libertarians and saying, oh, we got to turn more libertarian because these guys are starting to, you know, pick up some steam. And they're realizing that, oh, yeah, our message is starting to um, resonate with people. So I'm, I am seeing from at least the one, at least one party, a lot of um, internet fighting amongst their party because they're like, oh, we should be leaning towards more of a libertarian edge instead of a big government edge. Um, as far as libertarians being in smaller places, yes. I mean, I think if you resonate from the bottom and you start screaming to the top, the top will start having to listen because those are the people that are going to be next in line to take those positions from the, the top people, especially if they're succeeding and doing a great job. I think that's, uh, I think they're always looking over their shoulder and that's why they're always looking at getting their next reelection too, because I mean, they will be an, a year in and they'll already be starting a reelection campaign. Um, but yeah, I, I totally agree. I think that um, if libertarians start taking a lot more of these local government spots and then you start seeing success within these communities, you're going to see changes slowly. And that's the key is it's going to be slow because for 200 and some years, we've been chipping away the other way. I don't want it to be 200 years before we get it more to what it used to be. I, I think that you have to be realistic, though. You're not going to be able to change it overnight. And yeah. if we can nibble away at it in 20, 30 years and make it better for my children and my children's children, I'm all for it. I'll, I'll, I'll suffer. I don't care. As long as my children and my children's children have the freedoms that were allotted to us back in the 1700s that have been just completely chipped away. And that goes back to, too, the states are supposed to have the power, not the federal government. And somehow it got switched and in record time, too. Uh, it started in the 40s and it just streamlined from there. Yeah, and uh, I mean, if you look at the implementation of the Federal Reserve and the central banking system, I think you can pretty much start there. And then uh, we had the Roaring Twenties, and then we had the Great Depression, and then we had World War II. And I, I think it's a pretty easy timeline to follow. Uh, one of the things that I want to remind people in Wisconsin is the Wisconsin Constitution, Article 1. And it says that Section 1, as amended November 1982 and April 1986, all people are born equally free and independent and have certain inherent rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. To secure these rights, governments are instituted, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And that is our first article. First, it's number one. You are free to be an individual. And that our government is here to just protect your inherent rights. That is it. And they're not here to tell you where you're supposed to go to school, how you're supposed to educate your children, what foods to eat, how much exercise you're supposed to have. None of that. They are only there to protect your inherent rights to be free. That is it. And and I just want to remind people of that. That's 100% libertarian right there. What's <laughs> the libertarian that wrote it. Um, and yeah, I think people I, have lost that. They've lost that freedom because they think, oh, government's so big, I can't fight big gov. Because we've seen people get beat down over the decades where government has come in and forced themselves upon individuals that are just trying to be producers and make a living. And they, they, they shut them down because it's not good for big gov. And we have institutions in place that kind of suck the brain juice out of people that, that not let them think for themselves. That's that's the other thing. You have uh, these colleges. Um, you have other institutions that um, people are relying on, 
and they won't get themselves out of um, the constant circle of just put it as welfare as an example. People cheat themselves to try to get welfare dollars, though they could possibly they could possibly get a job, work up through that job, and get themselves out of poverty and have a fulfilling life. But because their parents did it, their grandparents did it. That's the only way they know how to how to work the system. Um, and then the schools, uh, they basically think for you now, uh, especially in colleges. I'm not going to speak on grade schools or high schools. I, I think a lot of it is starting to trickle down there. I don't think it's as prevalent as it is in the in the universities and colleges. Um, in in you know, like I said, the brain drain basically that they make them think for them. And if you have an opposite opinion, you're wrong. Well, that's not the way it. This country is built on debate too. And Correct. You have, to have both sides. If you don't have a second side, it's not a debate anymore. It's you're basically being told what is right and what is wrong, and that's not how the system works. How it's supposed to work, anyway. Well, I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I grew. Uh, my high school was actually a very small uh, vocational school or partnership school. I forget what they actually called them. I think it was a partnership school. Our graduating class only had thirteen people. Now to and these are troubled youth. So it's uh, you have to meet a certain criteria to be able to qualify to get into that smaller classroom environment and, you know, only have, you know, there's two teachers per classroom and 20 kids per class. So that's a very manageable system. When you talk about educating people that are pretty wild, let's just say it as it is. People are wild. So um that's where I actually learned my multiplications and stuff like that. Cause I wasn't learning that in Milwaukee public schools. I, I, I learned how to fist fight pretty good at Milwaukee public schools. That's about it. Um, and, uh, so going to that and then finding the opportunity that you could ride both sides of the fence, you could actually get an education and then not lose any, anything as far as what you were doing outside of school. So, I mean, for me, that was great. Cause then I, I joined the military after I graduated and, so on and so forth um it, it, it's been a rough ride i would say but everybody's life is rough i don't i don't think anybody has a real easy ride when it, when you're talking about it um i think that government being involved with education or licensing or any of these regulations or anything all they're doing is barricading the public and then you have everybody promising oh there's going to be change there's going to be change i don't i don't even try and go down to milwaukee anymore because it is literally just not something I want to see anymore. Uh, you know, I've moved out into the country and I'm like, yeah, I'd rather look at green pastures and no trash on the ground than, you know, drive down Center Street or Fond du Lac or any of those, you know, north side, south side, west side, east side, any of those neighborhoods and just look at nothing but, you know, filth and people don't care. And, you know, I mean, when you surround yourself with that, you're going to have a negative attitude. But, I mean, when you surround yourself with people that, you know, want to do something with themselves and not complain about everything, I mean, it gives you a completely different perspective on life. Yeah, I think that's a big thing, too. I think you have to be for something and not always against something. That's, I think, it's been a big problem with politics that has made such a great divide now, is we're always against something. Well, the thing is, is when you're against something, you're not putting your full effort into it. When you're for something... You're going to put more effort into it because you have a passion for it. Um, and that's and I see that as a big key is that people don't realize that, you know, this anger towards one another because you have a different philosophy than somebody else. Like for me, I never force my philosophy on anybody. Never, ever. Will I never, ever. Um, I, I will never do that. What I do is I will engage in conversation whether I agree with you or not, I will still listen to your opinion. And then you can listen to my opinion and they can decide after walking away from me whether I was right or I was wrong. And they'll still go on with their life happy and happy-go-lucky. And for me, I think it is the big key is just to have the conversations. And I think some people just take it the wrong way sometimes when they have a conversation with somebody and then they there's one thing that ticks them off right away and then they don't listen to you the whole time i mean it, it could be as simple as something like abortion well abortion is a you know it's a 50 50 issue in, in this country i understand that
but you also have the right you have the right to choose either path that you want or a happy medium i understand that but i'm not going to go off on you because you know you're pro life or you're pro choice i think that if you have a passion for that that's fine but you cannot be that's the other big thing is you cannot be a one social issue voter right because if you are a one social issue voter you're going to get involved in a trap with one of the big two and you may not agree with 60 70 percent of what that party stands for but because you're that one issue voter you you've fallen into the trap and you're and you're stuck there for life with them because you're not wise to it and I never understood that. I never understood why people would be Democrats if they're um, pro-choice, and that's all they run on. And it's like, well, do you see all the other things that Democrats stand for? No, I, it, it's abortion. It's abortion. That's all that matters. Well, there's other parties that are pro-choice, too, <laughs> that you could look into, and uh, that would probably be more in line with what you're you're looking for. And I'm not saying that it's libertarian or you know Green Party, whatever, but I'm just saying that it that people need to look more into, you know, what their passion truly is. If they're a one, if they only like one social issue or one issue, that is not the way to go around voting for people just because of one issue. Well, and I don't think that people um, vote necessarily on uh, maybe their, their issues anyway. I think they are, they vote on what they're told that politicians will do for them. I think that's one of the biggest things is that, oh, well, they said they're going to do this and they're going to do this and that's going to help out me. Well, I, I don't know many people that will actually get up to uh, help themselves when they have that mindset. You know, I, yeah, I listen to a lot of David Goggins and Jocko Wilnick. That's what's got my brain always going. Well, you got to do more. You got to get out there. You got to do more. You got to get out there. You got to do more. And I think people get complacent with their situations. And when I was on public assistance, I was not complacent. I hated giving up my financial records every month, resubmitting paperwork every month, doing all this stuff so that I can receive a benefit that I paid in for when I was 16, 17, 18, 19 years old. And I, I, I didn't have children until I was in my late 20s. So when I was on public assistance, you know, I had paid into the system for over 10 years, you know, and that was supposedly my insurance for if I fell on hard times. I was only on public assistance a couple of years, you know, and people become complacent and just, oh, well, I don't have to do anything more. This is good enough. But then they still complain that it's not good enough. But then they say that the government should do more. And I know that because I lived that mentality my whole upbringing in, in, in Milwaukee. And it's just like, yeah, once I got outside of that, though, and saw what life was really about and saw parts of the world and how different it is and everything else, I'm like, man, that that is not the that is not the thing the thought process for me that is not the group think that i want i'm i'm done with that and a lot of people get turned off and they don't want to talk to you anymore because they think you're you're a lunatic but i am crazy as shit fitting name right <laughs> no I, I agree i think that people get um they're politically naive i'll just say I think that's a big thing. They're politically naive because they've been in the same circle all their life and they're not willing to dip their toe outside that circle. And that's why, and most of it's fear and the government does a great job of instilling fear in people. So, I mean, that's, that's one of the biggest problems with our government is that they derive on fear and that's how they become bigger and bigger. And I think that again, with COVID, I think it was a big test. I think it was a government test. How far can we push our citizens until they fight back. Could be. Could and be. I fell, you into, I fell into a trap the trap a little bit. <laughs> I said I was willing to give this a month. I'll shut down for a month and see what happens. And then I, after the month, I was like, okay, this is just a this is a joke. You're putting out numbers that are lies. Yep. Uh you're not you're counting deaths of people that have can stage four cancer. Yep. Because they had COVID in their system at the end. I mean, they have influenza at the end, too. Do you count those as influenza deaths? I mean, that it, it's just, it's all game. And it's, it's, it's a sad game. <laughs> and we know it's a game. 
Well, another thing that I brought up before, just uh, besides COVID, when you have the government lying to you blatantly, you know, um, I, I ask people all the time about weather modification. They're like, oh, that's a conspiracy theory and this and that. But it's kind of funny because there's a law on the Wisconsin books that actually allows you to get a permit for weather modification. I'm going to bring that up right now. It is actually Wisconsin State Statute 93.35, weather modification. And you actually have to apply for a permit to change any atmospheric scenarios in the Wisconsin region. And that's an actual law on our books. And I think it's been implemented since 1974. Don't quote me on that date, but I'm pretty sure it's around that time. Okay. But when you ask people, hey, does the government allow people to modify the weather? Oh, you're full of it. I was like, mm, why do I need this statute then? Makes you wonder. Yeah, because you know what's going on. There wouldn't be a law if it wasn't going on. There wouldn't be, you wouldn't have to get a license if it wasn't going on. Right. And I just think it's funny that, uh, you know, people take so much trust in the government instead of trust into their fellow human being. And then when when you're when you're trying to inform them of information that's actually uh, pertinent to their their humanity, their life, everything, they just completely disregard it because they're I, I use the word programmed, but I'm sure there's other nicer words that can be used. But um, that people actually don't understand that this is stuff that can get you locked in jail or anything else. And it's like, no, this is the law, really. This is not something that I made up. This is actually on the books. Yep. And again, if they wouldn't have a law if they weren't doing it. So, you know, and, and we know how licensing works in a lot of things. And it's kind of stupid, like braiding hair and those types of things. I mean, come on. Why do you need a license to braid hair? Why do you need a license to cut hair? Why do you need a, the, the the licensing is a, becoming a huge problem that people can't be innovative because they're under restrictions by licensing. Yeah, I mean, but they give everybody a driver's license, and you see how people drive, and it's like, okay, yeah, this is this is this this is the wild wild west down here, and you know, it's ninety miles an hour on the side streets and stuff like that, and I just like. Everybody's got a license, though, you know, but you won't issue a license for people to um, procreate or anything like that, you know. But, you know, is it coming or did we did we reach a point where when you have to have um, uh, a piece of paper that says you're vaccinated to enter a facility? Do you think that we're in entering those realms? And when you start entering those realms and you're going to place a restriction or create a caste system of the vaccinated, the unvaccinated, the the academic versus the worker, you know, you start creating all these, um, I call them labels, titles, and categories that separate us as human beings. Um, and then you, people will really start turning against each other. And then you'll have secular group think, and I think that's what we're turning to. Um, do you think if libertarians don't really get a push or uh, get policy change that uh, we're going to fall into something like that, or do you think we're just going to fall into like a, another civil war or something? I think we're. In, I think we're. I think the government's trying their hardest to cause a civil war. Um, yes, and you're and you're absolutely correct that there's this great divide that they're trying to do with vaccinated, unvaccinated, and and different classes. You know, workers versus. Uh, educators um, and the uh, the other thing that they like to do is corporations versus the workers too. Um, the big thing is, I mean, you can push to the moon as far as salary and stuff. We really shouldn't have a minimum wage. I, I'm I'm kind of turning the corner on this a little bit because, you know, they push for 15. The, the Democrats are big on push for 15. And now we have an inflation rate that is outrageous and 15 doesn't even do anything anymore. So now they're going for 30. Okay. So the average Joe that wants to get a loaf of bread is now going to have to pay six, seven, eight dollars for a loaf of bread. So a small business can thrive. Again, you're just feeding into the corporations that much more. Yeah, they can, they can suck that a little bit, but uh, your mom and pop grocery store is not going to be able to do that. No. 
and and, and it, uh, it it's so counterproductive. They think they're doing the great deed, the, the the good for the good of humanity. You know, everybody should be making you know hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, you know, with those hundreds of thousands of dollars, the prices get pushed higher and higher and higher. And that's why I think, personally, I think that another depression is going to be happening because you're going to have to control prices at some point. Yep. And the only way that I, I think we're so far into it now that there's no way to get out of this national debt crisis that you are going to have to have a depression of some sort that the government doesn't bail out and try to push down the road. The problem is, is um, the, right now we're on borrowed the borrowed dollar i would say because the world currency right now is the u.s dollar well you're starting to see a lot more of these uh countries say hey we want to get off the u.s dollar as the world currency you know what that does that would absolutely cripple the united states of america absolutely cripple and and, and it's not brought up enough i think that's one big thing it's not brought up enough and you can see, you know, like Saudi Arabia was looking at going with the UN for for the oil currency. Well, the U.S. dollar is the major currency for the oil industry. So if you get the if you get the UN, I mean, China already has us pretty much, and they become the world currency. That I mean, that's it. It's that's the end of this the United States as we know it. And it's unfortunate that we're not, you know, looking at that and saying, hey, we need to get things under control from a federal standpoint. I think the states, a lot of the states do a pretty good job. I'm not going to, I'm not going to knock Wisconsin. I'm not going to knock some other states that are actually kind of budget neutral. Uh, But I will knock like California, Mm -hmm. uh, New York state. Uh, But again, these are things that Wisconsin was able to control some of this. And I think with Walker's administration, he actually did a decent job of um, setting back regulations for this state to, in order for small businesses to thrive. Unfortunately, a lot of that stuff got reversed when Evers went in, but um, he also had faults too. Uh, Walker had faults too. I mean, the Foxconn debacle. I mean, getting all taxpayer money through big corporations is always never a good thing to have them settle here. What you need to do is get rid of the state income tax. I think that's a big thing right now. That's my biggest push right now. You get rid of state income tax. And I don't like raising taxes, but even if you raise the sales tax for the state a half a percent, you are... First off, that's cost neutral. And second off, you won't have the um, over abundance of money that they've had with the state income tax. They've been having surpluses for years now. The big thing I see, though, you look at Texas, you look at Florida, you look at Tennessee. Their sales taxes would still be much higher than Wisconsin's. And you would not have, you would have people flocking into Wisconsin to want to start a small business because. Most of your state income taxes are coming out of small businesses. So if you're infusing the small business attitude on top of the retirees would not want to leave the state anymore because they're not paying state income tax, Wisconsin would be a thriving state. I mean, you would be seeing, you know, Florida, Arizona, Texas looking at cutting their state um, sales taxes to try and compete with us, and which I think would be great. I think that when states offer competition among states, I think that's where innovation, one, and the population will root out and and want to go to. I think that's a big problem with Wisconsin has always been. It's been a heavily taxed state, and that's why people look at after retirement. Well, one, the weather's you know pretty crummy, though not this past year. Um, but and and two that they're just. Why should my IRA or my uh, 401k get taxed to hell by the state when I can go to Texas and just pull it out all for free? Right. I think we have a, a, a good thing in Wisconsin that we have a lot of camaraderie as far as communities will take care of themselves. And, and if you look at smaller communities in the state 
And there, I mean, there's a lot of open spaces in Wisconsin. There's a lot of space that you can cover. When you're talking about municipalities like Green Bay, that's a small city. If you look at Milwaukee, Milwaukee is relatively small as well. I mean, and if you look at Madison, Madison is just very, very tiny, densely populated center, and then everything else is spread out. So, I mean, Wisconsin has the ability to still have area and room, and people do take care of each other. I mean, I don't think we need to tax the hell out of each other to give incentive to people that are not participating. I think that um, if we were to actually put the money back into the hands that are people that are actually producing, reduce regulations, get the government out of the way, you will have people that will just continue to do what they do, and that is to produce for their community. And that, and it just depends on the demand of what they need. You know, you do have people that take advantage of stuff like that. But, I mean, um, I think if we were to look at the legislation and start reducing, instead of trying to, you know, always trying to counteract something or, you know, like you said, Walker introduces uh, bills and gets stuff done, and then it's all repealed by the next governor, and we just have this back-and-forth BS. When we start really just cutting the laws out of our way, I think that we'll be in a better way, uh, better place for our future. Um, what is your, What do you think about um, Wisconsin being a state to be a, a, a high producer of hemp and cannabis and to have those industries in I mean, and there, you know, Wisconsin's pretty good at producing diesel technicians and a lot of skilled trades like welders and miners and, you know, a lot of skilled trades come out of Wisconsin and are recruited to other states like Colorado, California, Alaska, too, um, because we understand the climate changes. We can deal with the cold for the most part. And, you know, people are hardworking individuals in the state. What do you think um, would be best for people if they were to move forward? And how would you influence that as Secretary of State? Well, as Secretary of State, they really don't have any power anymore as far as um, getting those types of things off the ground. They used to do a lot of stuff with small businesses and things like that. But that, that power has pretty much been stricken from the Secretary of State. But I do believe, I think that if you allow cannabis to be legalized uh, and hemp be used, um, first off, you're going to have a lot more land usage. I mean, we have a lot of land that's not being used because farmers are cutting what they're producing just based on, one, the federal government will only allow them to produce so much. Um, to control pricing. And control pricing, yeah. And two... Um, there are there are lands that gr would grow better, um, say marijuana, the plant marijuana, would grow better in certain sections of these farms. And I think that to waste the land that people have, and they're paying taxes on that land still, even if they're not using it, I think that's counterproductive. Um, and it, it, if we go forward with legislation that legalizes uh, marijuana i think that well one you expunge the criminal records of these uh, people that have been prosecuted nonviolent uh, criminals and then nonviolent criminals that did nothing but um did something that was their choice you know mm -hmm. they weren't pushing on somebody else per se um so i mean I, i'm gonna go into something that's a little bit different at least with that, our, our jails, you're going to have less people in jail. So you're going to have less of a population and less of a burden for um, corrections officers and those types of things. Um, plus all the benefits that come with um, the legalization of a substance that's a plant that can be used for other things like textiles. Yep. And um, and actually, it's probably more of a planet saver, too, because then you'd be getting out of the palm oil business, which I just read an article that Indonesia is now not going to be producing um, certain oils uh, out of their country, which is going well, to be more self-reliant, right? Neil, it makes you self more self-reliant that right. your community can pro provide something that is has so many uses. Um, from timber uh, supplementation to uh, fiber supplementation to clothing, um, hemp seed as a nutrition source. I mean, I, 
there's thousands and thousands of uses for these th these plants. And to convert, let's say, paper mills over to a hemp uh, processing plant, you're not talking a very major expense. So, I mean, what do you, I mean, I'm going to let you continue because I, <laughs> I think hemp should uh, definitely be legal in this state for everybody to grow. It shouldn't be, a, you know, it shouldn't be uh, regulated as heavily as it is right now in the state. If you were to look in the regulation, it, it it's ridiculous. Well, and, and you're talking about planet saving too, right? Because you're not cutting down as many trees. Yep. So you're at the, and you're putting more oxygen into the atmosphere. Um, there, and you know, it's so funny because to me, again, I'm going to go back to COVID, but it's, it's kind of dumb, but you know, these planet savers that are pro, uh, pro planet, and yet they'll allow the mask mandate to go through and have all these masks laying around all over the neighborhoods and stuff like that, again, the oceans and that, and those types of things. And they don't speak a word. You never, you don't hear anything regarding that. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to marijuana and, and uh, cannabis and hemp. I think, but I think it should be legalized. I, I'm 100% for legalization. I also think it needs to be regulated a little bit, but not overregulated, because once you overregulate it, like in California where nobody can make a nickel, or Colorado where it is also heavily regulated, you're not allowing for innovation into things that it could be useful for what the California farmers are actually doing is now they're kind of, you know, hiding it and going and, and giving it away to other States. I mean, they're going to Nevada, they're going to Arizona, they're going to Oregon and they're seeing a big influx of it. But again, if you're a farmer and you have to start off with a million dollars just to get a permit, and then you have to follow that plant from seed to purchase all that regulation is just cause you make no money yep. and and who wants to be in a business that you're not going to make any money and again it's it's corporate greed too because uh, what ends up happening is these small town farmers that try to produce this plant have now been taken over by corporations and these corporations are now running these and these plants and, and yep making, super growers yeah it's just like super super dairy farms. Oh yeah, and all this other stuff. I mean, once you take it out of the hands of the local producer and make it into a mass production system, I mean, all you have is fraud, waste, abuse. You know, you have. Um, and I was I was going to get back to the I call them the do gooders. These are the people that are walking around with plastic bottles saying I love the earth. Um, yeah, it, it it's it's complete nonsense. I mean it. Uh, Practice what you pe preach. Uh, have the skill sets to actually perform what you want in life. That's another thing that I talk about in this show is having the skills to be able to produce for yourself to where you're not relying on a fiat currency. You have the knowledge and skill sets and the wisdom because you, you're going to fail sometimes. And that's another issue that people have is that oh, I can never fail. Well, I'm sorry, but that's just life, people. Um, uh, I think that uh, Wisconsin has a very good baseline to branch libertarians all over the country. I think that um, with our uh, land assets that we have, with um, the way people are with each other in the community. Now, I'm not saying that people don't can get into it with each other, but for the majority, people can respect each other enough to let them live their own lives and stay out of everybody else's business. For the most part, uh, people are hardworking. People will get up and go to work in negative 20, 30 degree temperatures. If that's what they need to do, they will get up and go do that job. Mm -hmm. So, there are people out there that want freedom. I think that we have the ability to spread it around Wisconsin and voting for this man over here. Oh, see, still ass backwards. It's that man <laughs> over there. Um, uh, will help libertarians be able to do that. So Neil, Neil Harmon is running for secretary of state. I got a question for you and I want, I wanted to see what you thought about this. So far, my administration has reduced income taxes by 15% for working families, increased our state's investment in public education, repaired over 1,700 miles of road and nearly 1,300 bridges, increased mental health support through the kids Get Kids Ahead program. We have a lot more work to do. We're going to keep doing the right thing for Wisconsin. What do you think about that post from Tony Evers? Smoke uh, and mirrors. <laughs> yeah, a load of BS. Yeah, I cut fifteen percent taxes. Okay, well, I raised fifty. I raised it fifteen percent, but before I cut it fifteen percent, 
um, road, all those road projects and bridges were already, um, I think they were already being in the work. So I don't think you can take credit for something that was already uh, implemented. Uh, what else was part of that? Oh, the mental health thing. Well, that's definitely something we need to invest more in. I, I don't disagree with that statement whatsoever. I don't think it's being invested wisely. I still think that a lot of nonprofits can do better with the money that the state is rolling into that. And I think that they're giving it way too much government control. But yeah, uh, mental, mental health. health I have one thing. thing to say about mental health. One thing, mental health is about being able to do for oneself, not having government in your way and being able to get out there and live your life how you like. As a mental health patient, once I got out of all that craziness, life felt a whole hell of a lot better. I'll tell you that much. Live to succeed, not to not to not to chase what everybody else wants you to do i'll say that yeah and i, and I think i like i said i think the nonprofits do a lot better i think i think sometimes you run too much to any medication any medication any medication well there's other therapies that are out there that may work better for some people and i think sometimes we become too dependent on the pills and 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 again that's education too um and i think the nonprofits would do a better job than what our governments do and it is a and it, it truly is, it is one of our greatest challenges going forward, because I even think that the drug um, epidemic is not an epidemic. It's a mental health problem that we have. It's not a drug problem. And I think that a lot of doctors, too, need to see, you know, look at these counter therapies and see what is uh, best for the patient instead of pushing the newest, most expensive thing out there because they're getting a little kickback on the side. I love the freest thing in the world is to get up and move, get, yep. get your body moving. And it's, and, and some things work like that. I have a friend that started a veterans that was part of a veterans group that started um, getting gym memberships for veterans that were um, um, maybe have suicidal thoughts or PSTD or PTSD. PTSD. Yeah. And, um, and very successful at it. And, and, and sometimes that works for people. If you take your, your mind off what your supposed problem is and um, focus it your energy onto something else, sometimes that, that it does work. And I'm not saying that pills don't work. I mean, I think that some people it does and some people it doesn't. I just my problem with pills is that sometimes it can be a mask uh, for something that it may be even more serious that's going on that you're not catching or you become dependent on those pills. And I think that's not the way to go either. I mean, I'll put personal story into it. A few years ago, I did go in and I had a, what I thought was depression, but I actually went to my doctor and he was like, no, it's more, I think it's anxiety. I'm going to put you on an antidepressant uh, for a short time and see how that works. And within two, three months, I was off. And I was like, okay, well, I, I don't know if it was the pills or just my mindset changed, or, you know, maybe I thought it was getting better, but I, I also, I commend my doctor and he realized that, okay, you don't need it anymore. I'm taking you off it and never had to go back on. So it was great. That's awesome. Yeah. I've been on every, every mental health pill there is from lithium to Depakote to Infectious XR to all that shit. Uh, and now I don't take any of it. Um, I been, I, you know, I gained like 50, 60 pounds, became borderline diabetic, being on all the medication. It was literally killing me. And what I found out is that I needed to change my surroundings, get out of the rat race of the city mm -hmm. and, uh, slow things down a little bit, but then, uh, get back to my physicality as far as being physically fit and releasing those nice chemicals in my brain as I'm going for a jog or a run or. You know, if I'm, you know, I started going to a boxing club and started sparring and doing stuff like that. And I mean, it, it's, uh, it's amazing what you can do just by being physically active and not sitting on the couch. That's one thing David Goggins says is get off the damn couch. You can't accomplish shit from sitting on the couch. So get up and get something done. And I love David Goggins for that. He, you know, Navy chief, Navy seal. I mean, just a badass person. So, um, if, if you, you want to follow anybody, follow that individual. But yet again, he doesn't appeal to everybody because, you know, he swears and, you know, he doesn't make everything nicey-nice like everybody likes nowadays. But <laughs> yet again, life isn't nicey-nice to you all the time as well we see here. So yeah, just walk around downtown. You'll hear, hear plenty of uh, explicit language. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I'm walking, I'm saying. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, um, I, uh, I when we I got out of the VA, I participated in uh, Dry Hoots, which is a vets organization, that, and they were an independent versus the going to the VA as well. Well, and, I, and what Jacob Vandenplas is doing with his farm, too. I think that's a good escape, too. He's doing a good job with veterans as far as getting them involved in farming. And again, that takes your mind off of your what you perceive as your worldly problems. And it focuses it on something that is helpful for both you and other people. And, and you can see the results. And I, I think a big problem is, is people are very selfish and they look out for themselves too much. And I think that uh, volunteerism is a big thing. I think that people should you know, do a few hours a week or whatever and help out in some capacity, whether it be pick up garbage on one weekend a month or something like that. I think I think it's rewarding that you're doing something for the community and no charge to the community. And and you're also getting yourself out there. You know, you're you're walking mm -hmm. around, you're physically active. And, and that's very important. I mean, with, with me, I think the Libertarian Party saved me a lot because I end up, I'm out and about all the time. Uh, I'm, I'm, my wife's probably upset with me half the time because I'm never home, but <laughs> it's just the way it is. And, and she understands it. And she's an introvert. I'm an extrovert. So I love talking so that I never, I never have a problem having a conversation with anybody. And, and that's, a, and that's my big thing is, is if we communicate and we're out seeking answers to the questions instead of sitting, like you said, sitting on the couch. I don't like to sit on the couch. I don't like being in the house more than four hours a day. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's, and, and, and that's a big thing. I don't like, uh, I cannot stand being in my house. If, if I'm you're in my house, enclosed, I be it's like claustrophobic, you know, you yeah, want to be I, free. The walls are coming in on me and then, Oh, yeah. I gotta be out of there. <laughs> Well, I hope you're out on the campaign trail. How are you doing on your signatures? Um, I saw a post on your Facebook page that you're 10 days in officially today, right? It was on the 15th. You guys started. 15th, yep. yeah, we're 10 doing? days in. Um, I really don't have hardcore numbers right now because I have a lot of people helping me out, which is very, very appreciative for. Um, I hit the farmer's market in Madison a couple of weeks, uh, two weeks in a row. Very, very busy. The first weekend was really cold, so people didn't really want to stop just because they had the coffees in their hands and stuff like that. And the second week, I didn't have really much success either. Um, I did have a couple other people working the, at the same time, too. I don't know what they collected, but I, I really had low numbers um, for my what I personally wanted. I actually had better uh, numbers sitting in a bar <laughs> this past weekend than uh, being out there in Madison. Uh, but I think we're on task. I think we're right where we want to be. Uh, maybe a little bit behind, not quite sure yet. I got to reach out to a few people. Uh, I know there's a couple mega collectors out there that are helping me out. So, um, with the convention, that should be a little bit of a bump. Uh, I got several things coming up in May too. I have a river cleanup that I'm going to be doing on top of, um, I'm going to be up in Door County helping out Jake on the 14th. And then the week after that, we're going to have some big event down in Milwaukee to get signature collections too, that we're working on also. And the problem for me is I'm going to be going to the national convention the last week of signature collection. So I want to make sure I get all this done before I leave. Um, so my wife can take it um, to Madison on that Friday before and turn them in because I mean, the goal is 2000, but really the goal is 2500 or 3000 because there are going to be some names that are stricken from it. Um, but as of right now, I think we're on a good pace. I think we're right where I need to be. Um, but again, I don't really have the hardcore numbers yet. I really haven't been diving into who's been collecting what, but I've had some surprises of some people that I didn't even think were collecting for me. And they are, and they'd say, oh, I already have 50, 60 of them for you. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's more than I was expecting. I wasn't even expecting you to collect for me, and you have 50, 60. It's great. That's going to boost my boost my number of what I personally have to get. And I think that's the, that's the hard thing is you're trying to be on the campaign trail at the same time, and, and you're trying to get uh, signature collections too. And it is kind of a waste for your campaign to be doing it individually yourself but it's also necessary to get out there and then you're showing that you care about getting your own signatures too. So I definitely am, am out and about. I'm 
hitting up a lot of my friends too. And, and um, over the next week here, I have a big bunch of friends that still haven't signed yet. So I, I'm hoping that I can kind of climb um, closer to the goal. Uh, but okay. I'll have more of a gauge uh, by the beginning of the month. I want to get a initial collection, so I'll have uh, actual raw total that I can put out there. Uh, we're forty percent to our goal. We're sixty percent to our goal, or whatever, because I think people need to see that too. Because then we can scram. If we need to scramble, then we can scramble. If we need to uh, put more resources into it, we can do that too. Um, I'm pretty much self-funded um, anyway. Um, I I have a donation um, page set up, but, uh, again, I think that it's more, I, I don't like taking outside money. I'm, I'm a big believer that I should be self-reliant on running for this. I don't want to spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't mind spending a couple thousand dollars for myself. I'm going to have, I'm going to have resources at my disposal that I think that are important, but I also don't think I should be spending a hundred thousand dollars or $200,000 and wasting people's money for a job that I get paid $75,000 a year. I think that's completely unfair that people are spending like the eighth congressional district. That gentleman has the Republican incumbent has over $2 million in his pocket from outside sources. And I think that's completely unfair one. And two, why are you spending that much on a job that it does it, you're not even getting paid that much? I know that people use um, government as a stepping stone to get into private business, and that's where they really make their money. Unless you're in Congress, and then you, you know, do insider trading, which is totally illegal for the normal uh, citizen. But for them, it's okay to do because they're doing a service for the the country. Well, I think your service for the country is for the people, not to line your pocketbook. So, and I'm a firm believer in that. I will never, ever, ever take money especially outside the state i'll take money from inside the state if people are willing to to give me money i i'm a hundred percent putting whatever i get right back into the campaign for yard signs um literature those types of things i'm not keeping anything off the side for anything else other than putting it right back into my campaign and like i said most of the money is going to be my own money so if people want to donate i'm perfectly fine with that but uh i know one thing that 100% of it is going right back into the campaign and I'm not there's there's going to be no dime left except for what's going to be in the campaign. Well that's excellent because that shows your integrity and I would just encourage anybody that has their uh, $1000 iPhone or anything like that that is probably the biggest asset that you could have because you can shoot um whatever you want as far as photos of you on the campaign trail going out knocking doors and it could just be two people, one documenting it, one and, and and yourself getting the signatures and everything. And I mean, there is so much you can do without having to spend outside outside money. And I know gas is around, you know, like four or five dollars a gallon for premium. But shit, I mean, you can travel around this state on uh, probably two full tanks of gas and probably get a lot of stuff accomplished so um people don't understand that it's not all about being on tv and everything is it's a hell of a lot easier to talk to somebody when they're standing right in front of you than it is to get on a phone or on a zoom call or anything like that and wait your turn i mean i really appreciate you coming on the lunatic libertarian we're running over an hour and i'm new to youtube so i don't want to piss off the youtube guys by uh taking all their time um let the people know where they can find you as far as you're at neilanthonyharmon at gmail.com. And my Facebook page, uh, Harmon for Secretary of State. Um, and I respond. I'm the only one that responds. So you won't get some automated uh, message. You may get something that I'll get back to you shortly. That's just standard for Facebook. They make me put that on there. But I usually get back within no time unless I'm working, obviously. Uh, but yes, um, everything that comes from either my email or my uh, Facebook page is directly from me and not some stooge that works under me or anything like that. <laughs> so Neil Harmon, a real human being, a real worker running the Libertarian Party for Secretary of State of Wisconsin. Thank you very much, sir, for being on the show and get out there. Vote for this man. 
he's a real he's a real human being, and he said he'll talk to you no matter if you email or get him at, get out on my Facebook. That's 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 a real human being that wants to do real things for the rest of the people from Wisconsin. Thank you very much, Neil. I really appreciate you. I'm Justin Lomnis, the Lunatic Libertarian, and we are out. Thank you very Thank much, you. sir.